Welcome to episode 156 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Before we get to the show, I wanted to tell you that this Wednesday, November the 14th, I will be hosting a talkback after the performance of Gods Like Us at Factory Theatre. And you will have heard uh, me talk to Vince and Zazu about this show just a couple of weeks ago. This is your opportunity to go and see the show and talk to them, ask them your questions and meet them after the show and say hello to me as well. Uh, so make sure that you get your tickets for this Wednesday, November the 14th, the performance of Gods Like Us at Factory Theatre Studio. So you can find those tickets on their website. Also, in the coming weeks, you will hear me talking to the two stars of Eldritch Theatre Space Opera Zero. And you may have heard me rave about the work that, that Eldritch does in the past. And, you know, I wanted to, I offered a, a contest online for a couple of tickets, but I can only give two tickets to one person for that contest. And I will event, uh, announce that by now, but I want as many people as possible to see the work that Eldritch does. And so I've arranged to have a special discount for you when you buy your tickets to Space Opera Zero. Go to eldritchtheater.ca slash tickets and get your tickets now. And when you check out, use the promo code STAGEWORTHY to get your tickets for $20 each. You know what? If you feel like dropping me a line, remember that you can always find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website at stageworthypodcast.com. You know, if you want to drop me a line, as always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby. And my website is philrickaby.com. This week, my guest is Johnny Weidman of Theatre of the Beat. Johnny was the dramaturg for Theatre of the Beat's Hashtag Church 2, which explores the realities of sexual assault and the difficulties of speaking out in a community where sex is often considered taboo. Theatre of the Beat has been touring this show around Canada and brings this show to Toronto on November the 17th at the Toronto United Mennonite Church, and then returns again after stops in other communities to Toronto's Assembly Theatre November 30th to December 2nd. Before we uh, jump into um, Theater of the Beat mm-hmm. and talk about that, I do want to talk a little bit about about Hashtag Church 2 yeah, yeah. and where that came from. Sure. And, and uh, just generally, um, is this the first time that you guys have performed it or you guys have done... Well, this is the first time we've performed this show, yeah. Okay. We, like, um, we just opened September 21st in okay. Kitchener. Um, and so we, like, we've been doing kind of grassroots theater for a while, like, mm-hmm. where we're working with communities about the issues that are affecting them. Yeah. And so we were approached by Mennonite Church Eastern Canada following uh, sexual abuse allegations and charges that were, like, within the Mennonite community that really, like, okay. shook it. In <clears throat> yeah. And so they were like, okay, we need to try to do education on clergy abuse and, yeah. like, professional misconduct mm-hmm. and just, like, sexual assault in general. Yeah. Um, and it was, like, this conversation started, like, six months before Me Too even broke. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't necessarily a public conversation at that time. Yeah. Um, and so they said that they were going to do a conference, but then didn't know if anyone would want to go to a conference about sexual assault. Right. And so in this, like, discussion, they were like, what about a play? Yeah. And then they started talking with us, mm-hmm. and then we commissioned seven writers to each write a scene for it. Mm-hmm. And then we, we've kind of produced it um, mm. through their funding. Like, they sponsored the show. Yeah. I, w- I do have to say that it's a pretty brave move of the church to... Uh, to decide that they want to have a conversation about it. A lot yeah. of churches don't, as we've seen. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a really positive thing that they were like, we have to do something about this. Yeah. Rather than just, like, not talking about it. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I mean, it definitely came out of bad situations. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, it was responsive, mm-hmm. but it was proactive in that they wanted to try to curve tail. Yeah. Further situations Mm -hmm. so yeah it's been interesting to like work with the church on it because they obviously have things that i don't know they've actually been pretty good about it like even like we've been writing very honestly and like the writers most of the writers at least grew up in churches but are no longer part of churches Mm -hmm. and so they have pretty like pretty angry stories 
And they were like fine with it. They just wanted the truth to get out, yeah. and they wanted to give victims a voice. And so, that's really good. I mean, yeah. a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of people who leave churches have a story about why they left the church. Totally. You know, a lot of people leave churches, and they're it, most people that I know they they they're not like, well, I just didn't feel like it anymore. There's usually something that was <laughs> yeah. like that that like sparked the the where maybe it's you know an unanswered question or something like that, and mm-hmm. then for other people it's like serious shit. Oh, for sure. No, absolutely. Yeah, and I think. <clears throat> I mean, this topic just brings up serious shit. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. So, like, we've, we've been hosting talkbacks after each show where we basically just, like, give the audience a chance to process mm. it collectively with, like, a panel. So there's, like, a counselor, there's mm. me, there's the actors. Mm. We had Matt when we were, like, opened it. Um, and just, like, yeah, the, the discussions that are coming up would be mm. really cool. So... Are those, I mean... Did you know when you just like, are you doing the talk back after every show? So far. Yeah. So far. Is that something that you foresee? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a heavy show. Yeah. Like it leaves you with a pit in your stomach. So mm-hmm. I think there's definitely merit to processing it together. Like after sure. that. Is it, is it, is it conceivable that you will, you'll be able to have a counselor at every. We're trying. Yeah. We're really trying. So if not a counselor, at least counselor resources. Yeah. Um, but our shows in Manitoba, we've lined up counselors for all of those. Mm. In uh, Alberta, we've got counselors. I think we're still searching for counselors in Saskatchewan. Mm. But, I mean, I am, I'm just a dramaturg. <laughs> <So>, like, <laughs> I can't necessarily speak to yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the more intense things that come no, up. Of course. So. I mean, you guys were... We're just people making a play, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could talk about our experience making it, but we're not the... We can't be the counselor in that situation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, what we're trying to do is just kind of kick the door open yeah. and then hope that the community then keeps that door open and continues to process it and continues to make space for, like, for victims to yeah. come forward and to believe them. And mm. uh, So, yeah, I certainly can't speak to, like... Well, actually, one of the main questions that kept coming up was, like, how do we how do we respond to someone if someone comes forward to us with allegations and stuff like that? And so yeah. we've had to kind of do our research, but also kind of give those questions over to people who know better. And, yeah. yeah. That is a difficult question when you're, when you're, when you're doing something like that, because the audience member may relate to a particular character on the stage mm-hmm. and reach out to them. Yeah, exactly. You know? And that's when you're doing something like this, like, as people who are not trained in in that sort of thing, you have to decide what you're going to do with it because you can't take that on. No, I know. Yeah, and I think I think it will be heavy. So one thing that our like theater, the beat is doing is actually paying for like uh, we're we're putting money towards counseling for all of the actors as mm-hmm. well because mm-hmm. it's like super heavy show. It's like a really difficult show. Like there there there's seven different scenes, so they're bouncing in and out of different characters, but yeah. each scene is like really heavy yeah so we're, we also want to like support the actors who are putting it on yeah. has but, it been really has it been a really challenging rehearsal process like what was what's the process of like working on a, on a show as heavy as this yeah we really work to try to make it like a safe space mm-hmm. for sure yeah um we so right off the bat we said if you ever need to leave the room um you uh-huh. don't need to tell us why or anything like you can just say i need 10 or whatever if you just leave we'll give you 10 and then go and check on you yeah. um like making sure like one one thing is that so there's there's four in the cast two are women two are men mm-hmm. and then there was a male stage manager male director and then i am also male so the room was very male focused but yeah. a lot of these stories are about like female victims yeah so also just trying to make sure that the space was shared in terms of like the processing, the questions, yeah. the comments. Um, uh, how do you, how do you, when, when the room is, is heavily male, how do you, um, what kind of mindset do you need to have to, to, to make room for the women in the cast and not, you know, not well, actually them? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I guess, I guess for me, like, that's all I can speak to is just, like, trying to listen more than talk. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to, like, notice when people are, like, wanting to talk but aren't necessarily, like, asserting themselves and Mm -hmm. trying to, like, direct conversations or questions to those people. Um, Yeah. And then I think also just, like, if people are quiet, you also, it's a difficult thing because you don't want to necessarily be like, what do you think about this? Because maybe they're quiet for a reason. Yeah. And so it's super tricky. Yeah. I don't necessarily have, like, a 
mm. textbook answer for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. What was what was opening the show in Kitchener like? I mean, you guys did it in a in a in a theater there. Right? Yeah. yeah. And now for the most of the run, it actually it will be in church sanctuaries. Yeah. Uh, we've done one show so far in a church sanctuary, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, I would say it was intense. Like, I was super nervous. Like, our audience, specifically in churches, they're not they're not typically theater-going people. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I think... Is that, a, is that, just to jump in, is that, is that, uh, uh, is that a Mennonite thing? Or is that, is that uh, just like, they're just like the, the locality? Is that... Uh... I don't know. I don't know. I, <clears throat> I think it certainly could be a Mennonite thing, yeah. at least historically. Um... Yeah, I think the Mennonite community has a has a long history with theater. Mm-hmm. Like early on, theater was actually used by Mennonites in trying to like speak against the Catholic Church. Sure, they would have these like paid rhetoric rhetor. It's like a rhetoric ishin rhetoric. Okay, uh, who would like stand on the street corner and basically give like monologues to like try mm. to change people's minds. Mm. So it was like it was kind of like used radically or politically at first. Right, but then. I don't know, in the 1900s became more of like a sin to go to the theater to go see a movie or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I would say, I don't know, maybe it's just churches in general. Maybe. I'm not I'm not really sure. I mean, the average person doesn't go to theater. No, it's very true. It's yeah. very true. When we're thinking average people, you're right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I mean, sadly. <laughs> you know, I mean, we might, we, a lot, the average person might save up now and then to go and see like, I don't know. For a while, it was like, oh, I saw Phantom of the Opera once. Yes, exactly. You know, back in the day. Mervish probably gets a lot of, like... Well, they probably get a lot, of the, a lot of them one time. <laughs> every, once every 10 years, they go to the theater. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to, to get people into indie theater, because I think they're afraid of of the idea of a small space. Absolutely. It's yeah. vulnerable. It's yeah. intimate. Um, you don't feel as much like there's more of that sense of like anything could happen. Yeah. So it's like unnerving. It's like going to a comedy show. Yeah. And when, I mean, when you're in a, when you're in a big, like one of the big, like Mervish houses and stuff, it's like the actors can't see yeah. me. You're yeah. like safe in the, in the crowd. Exactly. If you're in like this tiny little theater, like the red sandcastle or yeah. like a, a, any kind of storefront or anything like that, it's like, they're right there. Oh, for sure. They can see you. And you can like you can hear the responses. You yeah. can feel the like either agitation or discomfort yeah. or or laughter is like so yeah. much more present. Like that reciprocal connection is so much yeah. um more present. It's always like you when in a small space you notice like when you've lost the audience, you notice the like suddenly when everybody starts shifting, you're like, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, you know, it's and it's it's kind of it's it can be a little demoralizing, but it's also like <laughs> like yeah, they're right there, yeah, no, a hundred percent. When so I saw when we were in the theater in Kitchener, I was at every show, yeah, and I was like kind of sitting up so I could see everyone, and like during the uncomfortable scenes, there is this like weird. I don't even know what to call it. Every, it seemed like everyone was possessed by this feeling like where they were like doing, they were trying to sit up out of their chairs mm, yeah. and like almost like they were going to leave and then sat back down and it would spread in pockets mm. where I would see a bunch of people doing it. And then there would be a moment where the tension would break and everyone would kind of like relax and you could, there was like a change in the yeah. room, like almost like this kind of like exorcism had just taken place. It's almost like, it sounds like it's almost like the fight or flight was like, like people were just uncomfortable and when they're uncomfortable, they're, they they want to, they feel like they have to do something. Exactly. The I'm in a theater, I need to sit down sort of takes over. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, 100%. What was the difference between performing it at a theater and performing it at a, at a, at a church sanctuary? I know for the actors, yeah. like a theater audience, the theater audience when we performed, like we had four shows. Other than the matinee, the, the audience was much more receptive. So n- not even receptive, but more reciprocal, like just giving more back, mm-hmm. like, you know, either like those kind of palpable silence were intense or like laughter or like you could hear tears. Yeah. Like, but when we, when we did it in the church, it was really hard to read the audience. Mm. There was like whispering, like people were talking to each other. So there wasn't the same kind of understanding about like maybe, you know, what an audience should or should not do. Yeah. And, and I actually like that. Mm. But I think the actors were kind of caught off guard by that dynamic. Yeah. But then afterwards, as soon as the show ended, then the talk back was like so intense. Mm. Like everyone was so emotionally engaged mm. and so invested in the content. Mm. So it like, it, it was still really, 
well received. It's interesting because I'm thinking about the muscle memory of a place. Hmm. And if you're if you go to that church every Sunday, there's a certain behavior that's reinforced by by being in that space. Definitely. Um, which means that you're not likely to be as boisterous as you might be in the theater because <laughs> yeah. this is your church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And it's like a holy space, yeah. a sacred space. <clears throat> yeah. we, we like we've staged church too, like around all of the different seats. Mm-hmm. So um, there's like you know actors are kind of coming in, and when the actors aren't on stage, they're actually in the pews like they're they're in with the people right the audience um but this really weird thing is like when this when the action is happening not at the front people don't turn around it's like they've been conditioned to just like sit and stare forward like Mm. the odd person will kind of like look over their shoulder and they're not really sure what to do Mm. but no one will like readjust in their seat no one will kind of stand up to look it's like yeah it's really i think it goes back to what you were saying um I was raised. I was raised Anglican. Okay. And so, at a certain point in the Anglican service, and probably in the Catholic too, service too, when you read the gospel, they take the gospel down down the aisle, and they might like read it in the middle, but everybody sort of sits straight ahead. Nobody looks at the priest while he's reading the gospel. It's yeah. like behind you. And I wonder if, if, like, does the Mennonite Church do anything similar like that, or is it just like that? You're just there. Everybody's so used to just sitting, staring straight ahead. I think that's what it comes to. <clears throat> I think you're right with the muscle memory. Like you're yeah. you're in your seat. You look forward. That's where everything happens. Yeah. And hmm. Mennonites will sometimes do like um, like the peace of Christ where mm-hmm. they like stand up and shake each yeah. other's hands. But that's kind of like the only time where you're encouraged to get up. Yeah. And so it's, hmm. yeah, I think it is more of a rigid, yeah. trained focus towards hmm. the front, hmm. which then I think can be really disorienting when you have stuff around you that you're supposed to be paying attention to. Oh, sure. To. Like, like you don't, your body is like, no, this is not what we do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, but you, you said that the, the talkbacks were really intense at the church mm-hmm. shows. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like the very first comment. So like, uh, a gentleman stood up to share his comment, which also like didn't happen in the theater mm-hmm. space. Um, and was saying that he felt, he felt like we had crossed the line that we had like, um, taken the sacred and kind of made it profane Mm -hmm. um and we were kind of like okay like thank you Mm -hmm. for sharing your opinion Mm -hmm. um and i didn't i i I said something in response to it about like yeah we're really wrestling with this stuff and we're we're trying to kind of sit in the muck and wade through it together but then that comment just like spurred a response and then a lot of the talkback was kind of in response to that that hmm. comment and then hmm. so the audience kind of guided the talk back which wow. was really great that's that's right yeah. yeah yeah now theater of the beat mm-hmm. um what was the the genesis what was the birth of theater of the beat i mean i think like many kind of small indie companies at first it was just a way of producing our own work yeah because like if you can't find meaningful work you got to make your own yeah yeah um and so early on in 2011, Rebecca Steiner, who is like one of the founders of the company, mm-hmm. she was approached by someone at the University of Waterloo. Um, they were building a new archive and the archivist who had been there was like retiring. So they were going to do a play about this guy um, to be a fundraiser for the archive. Mm-hmm. But he was like a librarian or an archivist. And I think they had reached out to a bunch of different playwrights and everyone was like, no, that sounds really boring. (laughs) And then we were desperate. So we we took it on. And then we like, he was a draft dodger during the Vietnam war and he merged with Martin Luther King. Mm. Yeah. We were touring this. You were touring that. Yeah. yeah, When I was with Keystone theater, that's right. saw you guys do that in, in Montreal. That's right. That was our first. Yeah. 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 So that was, we, I guess that was 2012. Yeah. 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 So that was our first ever play. Mm -hmm. And then actually, so on that fringe tour, so like we went to Montreal, we had like pretty small houses, like dramas don't do well. Yeah. Historical dramas don't do well anywhere. Yeah. But I think specifically in Montreal where it's a big comedy scene. Yeah. Um, and then we went to Edmonton and then Vancouver. Yeah. And so we had these big gaps in between these fringes. And I'm, I think it was like churches heard about the show because they heard it took, so this guy was a Mennonite. Right. Uh, and so it was like people heard about the show being about a Mennonite draft dodger and churches started asking us, would you do the play at our church? And we were like, sure, like we're not doing anything. Yeah. And then we would go from like, 
I don't know, like maybe our biggest house was like 30 people in Montreal or something. Yeah. And then we would go to this <laughs> church and there would be like 40 to 70 people there. Yeah. And we were like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. And so then we kind of got tapped into this Mennonite community mm-hmm. that would like let us do the work that we were excited about. But because it was about social justice issues, the community was also like really excited about that. Yeah. And yeah, now we've toured all across Canada and into the United States, like mostly connecting with Mennonite communities, yeah. the odd festival and stuff, and yeah. theaters. Um, we've toured to prisons. Um, but we kind of got this like very accidental audience really yeah. early on that's now being like super loyal to our yeah. work. So, Well, I remember you, you guys, when you guys arrived in, in Edmonton, you had basically gone church to church to church. That's right, yeah. Which is, uh, you know, I mean, instead of like just driving across and, and like... <laughs> You know, hand to mouthing it. You know, you guys, you know, made a a, a tour out of it. Yeah, which was really great. I mean, we were still hand to mouthing it. Well, but, yeah, <laughs> but we were busy doing yeah. it, which yeah, yeah. felt so cool. Yeah. And like, yeah, there was a really positive response to the shows that we were doing. So. Out of curiosity, did you yeah. find that having done the show in in Montreal and then, um, you know, going church to church to church, did that did that help you when you got to Edmonton? Like oh, the fact I'm that you sure. Like, like, did you find that, that people had heard of this show a little more? Yeah. yeah. Actually, you, you know what? It did. Because then if, like, if we went to a community and Mennonites saw it there, mm-hmm. the Mennonite community is very insular. Yeah. And, like, very connected. And so they would tell their cousins or sister or whatever in another city. Yeah. And then they would come to see it. And then, that yeah, that did spread a word nice. of mouth. So but by the time we got to Vancouver, our houses were bigger. Yeah. And I don't know if that was all Mennonite-focused or not, mm. but at least it created some form of conversation about the show. And then as actors, we were just feeling much more confident with it because we had it under our belts more. Yeah. And like every space we would show up into a, they weren't theater spaces. They were like literal church spaces. We would have to clear all the pulpits and stuff. Um, but it also made us more versatile, kind of like jazz musicians. Like we were in certain aspects, we would have to improvise every single show because like, Oh, there's like literally an organ behind us that we can't, move past yeah how are we going to block this so it made us more versatile i found that um touring to french festivals is a great eye-opener and and you have to be versatile because every Mm -hmm. time you go to a space it's it's a new space what do i have to adjust now i remember touring with with keystone and every theater is like so how do we do can we if I exit here, can I get over there? No. Okay, so now we have to change all of our blocking and, yeah. and things like that just to make it work in a new space. Exactly. And I mean, that it's exciting because you can't get into ruts. Like, you can't yeah. get into, like, habits. Like, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that fear factor yeah. that kind of keeps you on your edge. Like, like okay, is this going to work? Is this mm-hmm. not going to work? And I think that keeps it more, like, live yeah. and organic, which is <coughs> everything that theater should be in my mind. Yeah. Um... Did you, I mean, outside of the Mennonite community, what was it like? Was there a difference in the way the show was perceived when you performed it, uh, like, at, at the festivals? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, I think within the Mennonite community, there is an appreciation that someone was telling Mennonite stories mm. because the Mennonite community is kind of being, like, characterized, you know, like, with horse and buggy yeah, and, yeah. you know, electricity and stuff. Yeah. And so to, to see a group of people actually tackling like pacifism which is very important to the Mennonite community because yeah. there's about a draft dodger um, in like a real way yeah. like we weren't sure how the Mennonite community was going to respond to it because there was like swearing and yeah. there was drug references and there was like the main character was actually an atheist mm. but they seemed really gracious for it but then when we were touring it to theater communities I think there was a similar interest in it being about this Mennonite draft dodger mm-hmm. and so that almost had like a not like a kitsch factor, but there yeah. was something interesting about it. Yeah. And it also told the story of the Vietnam War from a very different perspective. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think both audiences like responded fairly similarly. Like there's like, maybe if there's like Mennonite jokes or something, the like, uh, theater audience wouldn't get that but they then pick up on the more artistic choices or more sure maybe other jokes or whatever yeah so it's yeah it's really interesting to see we can actually kind of gauge who who makes up an audience by where they're responding at different (laughs) times it's kind of like some kind of survey of the audience yeah yeah yeah, no that makes a lot of sense Yeah. yeah 
Um, what is your theater origin story? Like, why huh. did you go into the theater? Yeah, I think it was the only thing I was good at. Um, <laughs> How did you realize that you were good at it? Yeah, so I went to I went to school. Like, I grew up in Stouffville, Ontario, mm-hmm. which is like a small town. It was all about hockey and all about rugby. Yeah, you could only ever take one arts course. Um, mm-hmm. So when I went grade nine, I didn't really know about theater. I, I mean, I did. I had done like school plays and stuff, yeah. but I I wanted to be a cartoonist, and so I took fine arts. And my grades were like pretty middle to low range Mm -hmm. and my art teacher said like if you ever want to go to university you have to bring your grades up like i think you should consider theater um i was like a little bit of a class clown i guess and so she kind of saw that performance element Mm -hmm. um and she talked to the guidance counselor and basically got them to bend the rules to let me take fine arts and theater and so in grade 11 i got into an applied theater course which was like basically me and like all of the like rough kids from our school who just didn't want to do other courses <laughs> wasn't like a legitimate like wasn't too much passion for theater yeah. in that course but then I started doing impressions and I wrote a play about Angus Young the mm-hmm. lead guitarist from ACDC mm-hmm. and, and the class put it on and then like my grades got better and then I got into like I think they call it academic theater the next okay. year and I got connected with the improv team and then my, like all of my averages, well, not all of my averages, but those marks helped put up my other averages. Yeah. And then I was like, this is something I'm good at that mm. I actually enjoy doing. And I basically felt stupid throughout most of my like school career. So I decided to do, I studied drama and history. Mm. And so I did like a double, double degree. And then yeah. Where I did you end up going? University of Waterloo, <clears throat> which is not renowned for its theater program. It's not. But, I mean... <laughs> you know yeah yeah it actually i feel like it it was a very like comprehensive degree mm-hmm. so like i did lighting design i did carps crew i did playwriting course i did an acting course mm-hmm. i did costume design yeah which at the time like i only wanted to do acting yeah but now that we're touring our own shows that not that breadth of knowledge has been so sure. helpful yeah absolutely and it's one of those things that 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 it's only it, it's only fairly recently that theater schools have been talking about self-producing. Yeah. Like even if you, if you go to like the, the, the conservatory schools and stuff like that, they're just really sort of starting to, to see that that's a hugely important yeah. part. It's of, a reality. Yeah. Um, but you already had that because the, the school made you take all of those things. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, I, I, I think that <clears throat> that's, the norm now for theater. Mm, Like I I wasn't really taught how to get work in theater. Mm. I wasn't taught like even auditioning and stuff. I don't think we even really talked about how to audition. Mm. It was like, this is how you can work on different texts. This is how you can blah, blah, blah. Um, But then like leaving, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I just put all this money and time into it. So Mm. yeah, no, uh, a lot of the conservatory schools have like an auditioning course and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like I, my school did, and they still do. Where'd you go? I went to. I was at George Brown. Okay, years okay. ago, and uh, they had like audition workshops and things like wow. that. Wow, it's uh, very yeah. helpful. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's the is the and but now like there's there's the the theater Ontario does their has a day when all the theater schools come in and people do their do auditions. And yeah, can that's right. Like, feedback and stuff like that which is like i don't know if they prep people before that but hmm. it's a relatively recent thing i think and, totally. and uh, gives people a bit of a, a bit of a background yeah how did you come together with the theater of the beat people it so the majority of us met at the university of waterloo mm-hmm. um i had gotten to know two of them before like well actually in guatemala of all places okay. um <laughs> but then at university i was kind of I wanted to, like, I had done some activist work and I'd done some theater work. Mm -hmm. And in both kind of separate spheres, I didn't really feel like, um, I don't know, fully at home. And so I wanted to try to create a theater company that did a bit of both. Mm -hmm. And so I found other people that were also interested in that. So Kimberly Walker, Rebecca Steiner, um, Ben Wirt. Then I met him at like a soup fundraiser. 
and they were like talking about ways to raise money for this program. And I was like, I just wrote a play. And then Ben was sitting across from me and I asked him if he acted, I'd literally never talked to him before. (laughs) And then he said, yes. And so it, I mean, it came together Mm. like so many things without really any direction. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we got pretty lucky. You've done pretty well. Yeah. It's been crazy. Yeah. But we're still going. Yeah. I mean that, and that's really good. I mean, you, you mentioned like you've taken shows to prisons, things like mm-hmm. that. Like, did you, were you, did you approach the prisons? Did you have a show that you took to prisons? Like, how did that come about? Like performing in yeah. prisons? We were touring a show that we wanted to create a show about restorative justice and mm-hmm. kind of get people talking about the community's role in creating healing after yeah. a crime. And so we were touring this show, like mainly two Mennonite communities. And then in between all of our stops, we were like, getting in touch with prisons and trying to get shows there. And we were offering them for free, um, but it was still a bit of a process to get in. Sure. And then I think, I don't know the exact number, but I think it was probably about eight prisons that tour. Uh, We went into uh, like all across Canada Mm. and it was amazing. Like most of the audiences there had never seen a play before. Right. But we're like so happy that people were taking the time to like that they weren't being forgotten about, mm. and so like like rapt attention, like really great conversations after, mm. like um, some of the best talkbacks we've ever had. Mm. Especially because this play was like about them, like it was about it was mm. about crime, it was about kind of healing after crime, right? And. Yeah, I mean, some of the most exciting theatrical moments of my life. Like, mm. I was, like, playing someone who is incarcerated, like, in the kind of orange jumpsuit, like, delivering my monologues to this, like, group of people who it was the, actually their story. Yeah. It was really intense. But that, I think that experience, like, really inspired a lot of us. And we now have been uh, doing theater workshops in Grand Valley Institute for Women, it's a women's federal penitentiary mm. and we go in every Wednesday and are like creating a show with them inside. Mm. And like, we bring in audiences to see the show. And so it's like, and there, there's so many talented actors. Mm. Like it, it's been really amazing. When you say they're ta- like, just like just naturals, like they've just like needed somebody to say, here's a stage. I think so. Wow. I mean, a lot of, a lot of incarcerated people are like on the margins and have probably had to learn some level of performance to get by Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, faking something or just as survival techniques. Yeah. And yeah, I've been amazed by the, like that natural talent. I mean, diction and projection is not always the best. (laughs) Um, constantly telling people to face the audience but yeah. those are things people can learn those are learnable things yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's been it's been really cool and just mm. to see how excited people are like our assistant director our stage manager they're both inmates the whole cast is inmates are like we have like an acting coach that works with people who's one of the inmates we have like our set and prop designers and like yeah it's been really cool that's pretty cool yeah have you what have you learned in working with with the inmates that that um, you don't think you could or you would have like what's something that you learned from 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 working with inmates? Hmm. Well, prison is like a place where it's not safe to show emotion. <clears throat> it's like it's in your best interest to not wear your heart on your sleeve. Just right. like, I think emotion is often paired with vulnerability, yeah. and vulnerability is like seen as like a weakness in many institutions. So there's been this slow process of pe- getting people to trust each other yes. and then kind of open up to each other. But like the biggest thing is just kind of putting yourself out there because there's also this risk of failure, which yeah. is like really intimidating, especially when you've been kind of told that you're worthless or not able to do anything. Yeah. And so like, <clears throat> if I've learned anything, it's just this like inspiring idea that like when you give people the chance, they'll impress you. Like huh. there's just, there's been so many beautiful performances. Like, mm. so, like I've just felt so proud of a lot of those, like the women are yeah. participating, but like also just like people are super complicated. Like some people mm. tell us what they did. Other yeah. people don't. Mm. Um, but like, they're just bringing it. They're super passionate, yeah. which is like really inspiring. 
That's really awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know if that was me answering the question. I think it's, I think it's a great answer. <laughs> I think it's a great answer. Yeah. Um, so with working uh, on, on church too, mm-hmm. as, as the, the dramaturg now, maybe there's people that say, we don't know what a, what a dramaturg yeah, is. So, sure. so let's define what that is. Um, yeah. I think it's different for everybody. It's true. It's true. If you uh, ask like three people what a dramaturg is, they'll give you three different answers. Yeah. But what's your definition of a dramaturg? My definition would be, so I'm like a, I work with playwrights mm-hmm. uh, and I kind of worked a little bit as a production dramaturg, but I would say kind of like a theater consultant who tries to understand what the goal of the playwright is and then when the playwright is so ingrained in it that they lose focus of the mm-hmm. piece entirely or partially that I'm there to kind of like remind them what their initial goals were to kind of see if they're still on task with that or yeah. if they feel like their goals have changed yeah. and then kind of try to help to like mold it when I can yeah. gently. It's yeah. I, and I mean, I've certainly never been trained as a dramaturg. Yeah. I've worked as a playwright and I've worked with other playwrights. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of bled out of that a little bit. But so with church too, like we had seven different playwrights who we had approached, um, who had had kind of, you know, who wanted to write about these topics. And so asking them, what themes do you want to look at in terms of sexual abuse yeah. and, uh, kind of like patriarchal, ideology within yeah. Christianity and how that kind of manifests. Um, and so we kind of got the topics that we wanted and then we saw where the topics overlapped and then saying, okay, well, we've kind of got this one covered already. Is there anything else you would want to write yeah. about? No. Okay. Like how can we put a different focus on it? Yeah. And then trying to kind of make these plays a cohesive unit. Cause there's seven playlets that kind of come together to mm-hmm. teachers too. So trying to like hold this greater vision, but then also understanding who our audience is. Yeah. And so like, if we want to meet our audience with where they're at, but like slightly further than where they're at, so we can push them. Mm-hmm. What can we say? What can't we say? Right. So yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a really complicated role. It sounds like it was a real challenge to put it all together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, a, not a challenge necessarily. in that like, I wasn't like, I, I don't, there was moments where I was like, is this going to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the challenge came in trying to hold this one pro, like, you know, production. Yeah. Also, rep- like, understanding that for a lot of the playwrights, these stories were really personal. Yeah. So, like, even just to give feedback and stuff was sometimes, I didn't know, you know, how yeah. delicate it was yeah, for yeah. someone. Um, yeah. But then also the fact that we were working with the Mennonite Church to put this play on was like we I was also kind of checking in with them like hey we're gonna do a story about this how do you feel about that mm-hmm. and then trying to take that feedback and then the director's feedback um it felt a lot like mediation yeah i would say did like, the church ever say no we don't want you to talk about that yeah yeah but i i would say they were also pretty receptive to like pushback okay um and so i would bring their notes to the writers i would ask them how they felt about mm-hmm. the, the changes or suggestions the writers would tell me what they were willing to change, what they weren't. I would bring that back to them and say, mm-hmm. okay, they're not going to change this. How do you feel about that? And so I was basically just hopping between playwright yeah. and producer and mm. sometimes director, um, like all over the place. So, and then, so Matt White with the director, he was yeah. also working with the scripts, like while they got in the room and mm-hmm. we workshopped it. So then he would have more kind of like theatrical feedback right. for me where I was more focused on the content feedback yes, earlier yeah. on. And so then my role kind of shifted. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, it was, it was, it was a long process. It was about an, a year and a half. Okay. Um, but it was a good process. It's tiring. Yeah. <laughs> How, um, in terms of like comparing the creation of this show with some of the creations of other shows, did this one take longer? Did it? Was this one uh, a bit more of a challenge to put together? Was the how long do have your previous shows taken for at Theater of the Beat to put together? Yeah, I think typically about a year. Yeah. Um, the two shows ago that we did was about a year and a half. Mm. Um, yeah, I think so. 
I, in some ways, underestimated how much work it would be because mm-hmm. we said to the playwrights, we just want you to write a 15-minute scene. Yeah. Um, and then initially, we we're actually thinking about only showing four of the scenes at any given night and kind of mixing them up. And right. then we decided to show them all. Yeah. But the, yeah, the level of rewrites and the kind of back and forth with each actor, or sorry, each playwright, and then me trying to hold all the different ideas in my head at any given time. Yeah. It, I'm glad that we gave it more time than I thought we needed. Mm -hmm. Because if we'd only given it a year, I don't think it would have been ready. Um, Because there was, yeah, it was really intense for the writers to work on these stories. And um, so the feedback process was like, we we had to be delicate. Mm -hmm. We had to be gentle. um, And and we got really strong works from them. So I think think that we gave it time and made it a more holistic process was like really beneficial in the end. Did you ever take uh, feedback from the actors back to the playwrights? Well, so I, for the most of the rehearsal period, I wasn't actually too present. Like in the room, Matt, uh, if he kind of saw something that was problematic to him, he would kind of bring it to me or bring it to the playwrights themselves. Um, So I don't know how much of that feedback was actor driven Mm -hmm. or was director driven. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, the actors were really, were really good and yeah. really talented. And mm. so I wouldn't be surprised if some of these suggestions also came from mm. them. Mm. Mm. You guys are doing a couple of performances in Toronto. Yeah. Um, are they at, are they at churches as well? Or are they, no, yeah, no? Well, okay. there's going to be one performance at a church yeah. at Toronto United Mennonite church. Okay. Um, in November, and then uh, at the end of November, so I think it's like November 31st, December 1st, and December 2nd, we're at the Assembly Street Theater in, on uh, Queen. Oh, the Assembly Assembly Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's a great little space. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, very intimate. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so it'll be interesting to, to take it back to a theater. So we'll basically have yeah. bookended our tour with theaters. When you were the, the, the opening... Uh, of it in, in Kitchener it was a pretty big theater that you were in yeah yeah, yeah. so you will go from like in a theater a large theater to a super intimate yeah. theater which would be I can imagine it being a, a little bit different 100% with the audience quite so close and, yeah. yeah and the stage is small yeah and so like and it will probably be not church like community in the audience yeah. like I think it'll be more theater mm-hmm. audience yeah um, so yeah I mean once again I just have no idea how people are going <laughs> to respond but that's kind of like what's exciting about that it that is I mean in a way one usually especially when it's a new work because a new work you never you never really know how it's going to go over yeah and every audience is different and every time you take it to a new location it changes it mm-hmm. um, and that's just one of the things about theater is that you never quite know how it's going to go yeah so just generally exciting I think for, <laughs> like, to take that especially having gone to like you're going primarily you're going to churches mm-hmm. and then back to a theater which mm-hmm. is which is it'll be interesting because if 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 the the church pew sitting holds um, it'll be interesting to take it back to the to the to an audience at the end. Yeah, theater going people. Well, so it, when we opened it, we actually Matt changed the state. Um, we we put the chairs away from in the theater, mm-hmm. and we kind of like made the space to feel more like a church. So yeah. everyone was on the same level as the actors. Oh, okay. And we kind of almost made pew like setups. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, I think that was interesting to then go to churches. I think it was good for the actors to have that. But like assembly, we can't change the seating. No. So it will be, yeah, like a black box kind of studio feel. Mm. And so I think, yeah, it is exciting. I just have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything that you're working on writing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working on a play right now called Bomb Threat Baby. Okay. Uh, So it's like a guy who uh, he's engaged to be married his fiance leaves him. He takes this job at this kind. Of, so it's a little bit surreal. Yeah. Uh, he takes this job at this kind of secret uh, government surveillance office in Ottawa. That's mm-hmm. like this warehouse where you, once you take on a, a shift there, you can't leave for five years. And he starts, he's in charge of like keyword searches. So okay. When like bomb comes up yes. or like, yeah. I don't know, Al Qaeda or something. Yes. He kind of monitors these conversations but as he grows kind of lonelier and lonelier, he starts to 
um, use this technology to find a new date. So he starts basically <laughs> online dating with all of the government's top surveillance technology and then kind of learning about the interests of these people that he thinks are potential possibilities. And so he's kind of abusing this power. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a dark comedy. I wanted to kind of look at patriarchy as like a, a father that knows best. So uh-huh. both with government surveillance kind of doing that mm-hmm. and also this kind of like reading into other people's lives or yeah. taking liberty over other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just starting draft five of no, that. Yeah. Been working on it for like almost five years. So I, I mean, I've been busy with other projects, yeah, but yeah, this yeah. is the one that I just keep coming back to and I'm yeah. pretty excited about it. So I was, it took me, it took me eight years to write the commandment. Okay. <clears throat> um, and the only way that I, I think I finished it was by saying, I know, it needs to be performed. Yeah, totally. Because um, I think I could have just kept writing it and, you know, going back to it and tweaking it and things like that. Yeah. Have you ever, have you, do you find the deadline, uh, setting a deadline for yourself and like where it has to be performed helpful? Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Everything we've done with Theater of the Beat, we've created a deadline mm-hmm. saying we are going to open on this weekend mm-hmm. and then we have that to work towards. Yeah. I think... I think working under pressure is helpful. Yeah. I mean, it creates for a much more stressful environment, <laughs> but that's also like, then we know the end, we know the end date. So there's only so many changes you can make up until that point. Yeah. And with bomb threat baby, I've just been writing it for myself. Like it's not something I necessarily think theater, the beat would produce. Right. But so I've just, I've just been writing to mm-hmm. please myself yeah. in some way. Hmm. Um, which has been like really liberating. Yeah. But then also without any kind of avenue for it, yeah. it does constantly get rewritten. Oh, sure. And I'm just like really hard on it, which yeah. is, I think, a good thing. But um, yeah, I could probably use an end date. <laughs> well, I mean, have you ever had people read it? Like, have you had people, like, groups of people sit down and read it for you? Yeah. We, uh, it's actually on one of our tours, our actors kind of read it in the backseat of the van, and so I could listen to it, so that was super helpful. My housemates read it to me aloud one time. Yeah. Um, and I think what was helpful about that is the stuff that's in my head Mm -hmm. that I thought was in the story wasn't there and so there was like so many gaps that people weren't getting and I was like oh that's because this character and then realizing that that was nowhere present in the story right like it's embarrassing that you can miss those things but I totally do but that's exactly why you need people to read it out to you so that and then to talk with you about it I've I've had people read stuff I've written and then you know had these real great conversations about what they felt didn't work and I was like okay so if you felt it didn't work and it's not there, then I have to find a way to put it in. Because I know what's happening, but obviously I'm missing something. Yeah. But then trying to put it in in a way that doesn't feel forced. Like That's often the thing, it's the right? subtle things that you want to like suggest or like yeah. lead someone to without hitting them over the head. That's where I then start to get really yeah clumsy. <laughs> I mean, it, you could be like, oh, I'll just have them say the thing. And then, yeah. And then, you know that works for a little while and then you know over time it's just gotta be what it's gonna be yeah I think sometimes it's okay to be clumsy now and then it's just like as long as it's not all clumsy definitely and I think in the clumsiness to even like even just to give it like if this information is missing and to just give it to a character just to have them say it yeah um then that can almost work as a placeholder. Because yeah. like once it's on the page, you at least know it exists. Yes. And then the next time you pass it through, you can like diffuse that a little bit more. Yeah. Like soften the edges of yeah. that very over-the-head statement. And also having, like, when it's there and somebody, some other actor reads it, and you have, like, people talking about, about all this stuff, somebody might just sort of drop the thing that unlocks it. Yeah. Which is always, like, yeah. this amazing thing when, you know, you get a bunch of brilliant actors and somebody just goes, well, why don't you just this? And you're like... What? <laughs> of course. Why yeah. did I see that? Totally. Which is an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that's like that moment. It's like because you're so close to it, like it's impossible to see those things. Like, well, that's coming back to the importance of the dramaturg. Exactly. I've, I've been so close to a thing that I can't see it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's like that's when you need that outside eye to go, no, okay, so here's what I'm getting from it. Yeah. And you can have your mind blown. It, it's, it's like... <laughs> Oh, that's not what I meant, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? 
uh, outside eyes are, are, are super important. Yeah. Know? There's a lot of writers that don't like dramaturgs. Like, I think they find it, like, stifling. But I think they're just not working with good dramaturgs. I, th- I think that might be it. Because, yeah. you know, I think they're afraid that a dramaturg is going to say, no, what you need to do is this. Yes. Yeah. And I kind of think a good dramaturg will just ask you questions. Totally. You know, like... Sometimes leading questions. Yeah, leading <laughs> questions. But, I mean, it's got to be a leading question to at least get you to, to draw you to where you know, what the problem is, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't think a, dra- a good dramaturg is ever going to say, well, no, because the way that you have to go with this is this, yeah. you know? But yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe they've worked with bad dramaturgs or they have a, an idea of what it is. Sure, sure. Um, you're, are you a question asker? Sure. Yeah? Yeah. I will try my best. To. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like when you're, when you're dramaturging, do you, like, do you have tricks to get through the, the uh, playwrights, um... Sometimes ego, sometimes mm. um, uh, reluctance to take... Because, you know, at a certain point, you either think it's bullshit or you think <laughs> it's brilliant. And yeah. there's sometimes nothing in between. Yeah. I think there's... Yeah, definitely. I think the way that I try to ask questions is like Socratic method. Yeah. Kind of like to like... <laughs> I mean, it's a, maybe a little devious but yeah. to kind of make someone think it was their idea to like sure. lead someone towards something yeah um because yeah i think that's just easier to navigate mm-hmm. um depending on how well i know the writer also like i'll i'll be more forward or more frank with a writer who i've worked with before mm-hmm. because i know what is helpful to them or not yeah i think the biggest thing for me is like checking my own like oh it'd be so cool if this ended with you know this scene oh yeah yeah, yeah. To, to try to put that aside to try to keep protecting the writer's mm-hmm. vision but then also knowing when somebody is stuck and needs other ideas or other suggestions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but i think the questions that i would focus on dramaturgically are like um trying to understand where the playwright is coming from in saying what they're saying mm. in leaving out what they're leaving out and yeah. adding in what they're adding in because sometimes in just simply asking the question the, the playwright realizes that it's not necessary or yeah. that something is missing mm. um, because they just legit didn't think about it yeah um, mm. yeah awesome that's a it's good yeah Well, uh, that's about that's what time. Thank you, Great. thank you so much, Johnny. I was like, thanks so much for for coming in today. Thanks for having me, Phil. This awesome. is great. Thanks. This has been a Homebody Productions production.